Lord, we thank you for this morning and thank you for the, the things that you've placed on my heart today to share as we celebrate the goodness of God, the greatness of God, and the things that you're doing on the earth today. And uh, help us pick up that spirit of celebration as we live our lives during a time where it's easy to be cynical. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So I want to continue in our beautiful resistance. We're like in extra innings on this series, but it's been really rich. And I've got a lot to say about this, and I know Pastor Taylor does as well, and we have been having fun with this. And I was thinking about an illustration of this is when, remember when uh, Jesus was about to be crucified and uh, they, they come to arrest him and Simon Peter is there and he's got a sword and uh, the servant to the, the high priest was there and Peter cuts off his ear and Jesus grabs it and says, we don't do, like, we don't do it like this. This is not how we roll. And he puts the ear back on the guy's uh, head and heals it. Which is interesting because the way that Jesus resisted Peter's tendency to react with violence, he resisted it by an act of healing. And that's kind of the whole premise of this, this series is, is that we are people who are chasing after what's beautiful and following that which is beautiful. And in doing that, we resist that which we're against or that which we don't want to be, have a part of in our lives. And so as, as we look into this idea of the beautiful resistance, we are moving towards the kingdom vision that God has given us through Jesus and by doing that, we resist the things that are dark, okay? Now, th there needs to be a resistance to the dark, to sin, to ungodly behaviors and thoughts and morals and things along those lines. There definitely has to be a resistance. But the most powerful resistance is the resistance of pursuing and building that which is good. And so as we do that, uh, I know it's kind of a, almost like a play on words, but it's actually a posture that we need to take if we're going to be following Jesus. See, remember, we're not just believers in Jesus, because even the devil believes in Jesus. We're following and pattering after Jesus, okay? This is a pursuit of Jesus. So today I want to talk to you about how celebration resists cynicism. Celebration resists cynicism. And the reason I want to talk about this today is because we're living in a day where it's really super easy to be cynical. Right. right? Let me give you a description of how I want to use this word cynicism today. Okay? Um, the idea with, with cynicism is when we have a... Um, in fact, I think we have a, a definition. There we go. Looking for evidence that your worst impression or experience of someone or something is going to continue on that same path, probably even worse. Awfulizing someone or something. You know what awfulizing is? I've used this word before. Awfulizing is imagining the worst case scenario until it's so clear that you manifest it. 
okay, awfulizing. When you look at something as a worst-case scenario and you imagine it, pretty soon it shapes your view of things, okay? But when you look at um, your worst impression or experience of somebody, we can begin to awfulize them. And so, so what happens is, is that we use our imagination to accentuate that which we've already seen to be true in some cases, okay? So maybe somebody hurt you, somebody uh, betrayed you, somebody broke your trust, led you the wrong direction, uh, hired you, and it felt like a bait and switch, you know, maybe you got married and it didn't work out, you feel like you got led astray, and so it's really easy to get cynical. And so what happens is, is that we begin to shape our, our view of people through that bad experience, okay? And sometimes our bad experience with one individual gets transferred over to a group of people. I remember when I was in high school, there was a couple of guys that were big-time bullies in, in my world, and would constantly harass me everywhere I'd go. And they were, they were humiliating me in front of other people constantly. Uh, the interesting thing is, they're both dead now. <laughs> Don't humiliate me, okay? <laughs> no. But the truth is, it is true. I just now thought of that. It's like, they're dead. It's like, uh, but when I was in high school, back when I was in high school, I kind of, maybe, maybe my thoughts were pretty powerful or something, because I felt, you know. The truth is, the way they tried to make me feel small so that they could feel better about themselves. But the sad thing is, it took them on a, on a path that was really dangerous. And that path ended up in an early, early, early death, evidently. And so, uh, I got cynical, though. So anybody that was like them, or did the kinds of things that they did, or associated with a group that they did, I resisted them. And got cynical about that particular group. You know, when I first became a Christian, there was all kinds of things that I learned about Christianity. And as time went on, um, I kind of picked up a cynical view of being Catholic because I grew up Catholic. And so when I became a Christian, I had a, this eye-opening experience and had this encounter with Jesus and made Jesus the center of my life. Uh, I... I saw a whole new world that I hadn't seen before. And so in order to celebrate that new world, what I did was became cynical about what I left behind. And pretty soon, the thing I left behind, which was the very thing that set me up to be receptive to Jesus in the first place, now I clumped the whole thing into a cynical feeling. 
And then one day I had an eye-opening experience when I was in Africa when I met a Catholic priest. And it was like the most Christ-like person I'd ever met in my life till this day. And I was with Rick Steer, and we were over there, and we both grew up Catholic, and we both were cynical, and we both walked out of there with tears in our eyes because God opened our eyes to see something that only God could show us. And it took away my cynical spirit. That story in itself is great. I'll have to tell you it again to you sometime, but we won't do it today. But our experiences, bad experiences, can set us up to be cynical, and we can develop a cynical spirit. And even though we have a, a right to feel hurt or wounded or, or misled or um, misguided in some way, being cynical is a spirit, and that spirit begins to shape how you look at the world. It can also shape how you look at God. And, and so sometimes when bad things happen in our lives, pretty soon we can be cynical towards God. And even to the point of dismissal of God even existing, because we're going to punish him by dismissing him. Okay? If, somebody did, if somebody didn't get healed or didn't live when you've been praying, it's very disappointing. And oftentimes we can put that disappointment into, well, why didn't you? And then we come up with an answer of why he didn't. Okay? And then we can get cynical. And we can do the same thing with God. We can do the same thing with church. We can do the same thing with our with the scriptures, all kinds of things. And what I would caution you to do is to make sure you may not understand everything, but avoid going down the path of being cynical. Because cynical shapes who you are. It shapes your spirit. And cynical is contagious. Because when you are cynical, privately or publicly, then what happens is, is it spreads to other people. Now, never before have we lived in such a day where uh, cynical is, is very common. It's common in news media. It's common on social media. It's common everywhere you go. And so it's really, when things are common, it, it's almost like it's okay. Because everybody's doing it. You know, that whole idea of everybody's doing it can really... Um, catch on to being permission. But when you're following after Christ, what you want to do is you want to counteract cynical with something different. And so I want to introduce this thought of, as a Christian, we are people who celebrate. We are celebratory people. You know, when God created the earth, he looked after, after the six days of creation, he looks back at everything he made, and he saw the trees, and he saw the fish, he saw the, the animals, he, he saw everything. He looked at it, he saw us, and he looked at it, and he goes, man, it's, it's good. This is really good. Genesis 1, I think I have the verse here, Genesis 1, it says, God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. Very good. And so he looked at it, 
He didn't see all the imperfections, okay? He didn't look at the fact that, you know, that there was things that needed to be done. There's still things that needed to be done. That's why he told man, he says, he put him in the garden. He says, till it and make it produce. Make it produce. And bring forth fruit. Use your labor. Do it. Make this happen. Turn it into something. So he gave us something to do, but God looked at it and says, that's good. This is really good. You know, the interesting thing is, is God, the word God means the good. Did you know that? The good. You see, anything that's good has the spirit of God in it. And God is constantly trying to turn your eye to see the good as he does. Since we're created in the image of God, then we should be looking through the same kind of eyes that God looks at. And when you see the good, it's good to celebrate. When you see the good in other people, when you see the good that's being done around you, uh, and when your eye is constantly going towards the good, and you're celebrating it, there's something that happens to your spirit. So I want to look into this a little bit. So when we use the word um, celebrate, let's look at the definition that we have there, or the description of celebration in this capacity. Looking for the good or beauty in someone or something and calling attention to it. Training your eye to find the good in someone or something. Training your eye to find the good in someone or something. This is, this is work sometimes. Because some of us, um, our good is hard to find. Because we're cynical. Because we have led a life that may be destructive or harmful to other people. And so when somebody's looking for the good in you, uh, sometimes you have to look a little extra hard. Right? And it's the way when I was in high school, people had to look really hard to find the good in me. Because I had a lot of things that I was doing that were very self-centered, me-oriented, and kind of a response to the way I was treated in high school, I then treated others the same way, right? And so it wasn't until I met Jesus that the good was really starting to come out, and the cynicism started to drop, the anger, the bitterness, the bullying, all that stuff started to drop. But one of the things that I learned to do is I learned to celebrate. Let's, can we pull that definition up one more time? Start looking for the beauty in someone or something. I think it's really easy today to see the stuff that isn't working in our world. And it can distract us. It's been distractive to me. And it angers me. It frustrates me. At times I can feel fear starting to rise up. And then I have to remind myself, the good is out there. It needs to be discovered and it needs to be celebrated. It needs to be built. It needs to be created. It needs to be fostered. It needs to have its fan. It needs to be fanned into flame. 
The gifts and talents of God are hidden in every single one of us, and we need to fan those into flame and allow the Spirit of God to move and create the beauty. Anybody can find out what's wrong in our world. Anybody can find the wrong that's in our community. Anybody can find the wrong in Seattle. Anybody can find it. But are are we looking for the beauty? Are we looking for the good? Are we looking for the God prince in our community and in our world? So as we do that, we need to celebrate it. And so as being created in the image of God, we must reflect that joy and that happiness. I want to read a few scriptures, and I think that this will help you. Psalms 104, may the glory of the Lord continue forever. The Lord takes pleasure in all that he has made. Okay? That kind of comes off of Genesis 1, where he takes pleasure in everything he makes. He takes pleasure in you. He takes pleasure in his creation. I mean, when you go out and you go hiking, you go up into the woods, and you see God's creation, it's beautiful, and we can take pleasure in all that he made. Okay? He takes pleasure in the things that he made. Romans 15, 13 says this. I pray that the God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Now, notice this. The source of hope. It says that God is the source of hope, not your current reality. He didn't say your current reality is the source of hope. He didn't say the changes in the community or the changes in the world or the changes in political realm or the changes in laws or the changes in anything. That's not your hope. The hope comes from God because the hope that comes from God is a hope that despite the current reality, the hope sticks with you when you're tapped into the hope from God, okay? So you might not see the results in your son or your daughter or your parents or your aunt or your uncle or the person you're praying for, but you still have hope. Why? Because you have hope that comes from God. So I pray that the God of hope or the source of hope will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. There's a joy and a peace when you trust in God, okay? When you're waiting for the political climate to shift, when you're waiting for the economic climate to shift, when you're waiting for gas prices to go down, you can still have joy. You can still have peace because you trust him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 10, 28 says this. The hope of the godly will result in happiness. The hope of the godly. Now remember, hope is something that you see outward. You see in the future. It's, it's something that's it's, it's not here yet, but it's here now. Are you following me? You see, we know that we are supposed to call those things that are not as though they are. And so that's the hope that we see. And we bring it in. We pull it in. The hope of the godly results in happiness. So there's a happiness that comes when you hold hope. This happiness doesn't come when things have changed. It comes before they've changed. It comes now. We, we borrow from the future to now because we have a hope. We believe in the future, okay? 
But the expectations of the wicked will come to nothing. You know, it's interesting. Hope is an expectation that something better is going to happen. The hope is something that is going to happen so that we have that expectation. But the hope of people that aren't God-centered is conditional based on the current reality. And so it comes to nothing. Because oftentimes things just don't change right away. Sometimes they don't even change in your own lifetime. But our hope is eternal. Our hope goes beyond even our life, right? We see beyond today. And so what I, what I want to encourage you to do is start looking at that and start lifting your spirit and start realizing that there's something to celebrate, okay? So as we begin to celebrate, as we begin to look, we start, to, we start looking at our lives and we got to realize that it's not our job to be the one that calls everything out in somebody's life. Because you got people in your lives that are, that are misfiring. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so there, there, needs to be, there needs to be a governor on our heart and in our mind. We need to recognize that there is a, there is a, um, there is a role for us to play, and oftentimes what we do is we we are waiting until we have a. How can I describe this best? We need to have a leading from the Holy Spirit when it comes to this world that we have. And the best thing that we can do is follow the lead of God in celebrating the things that are working. So when you have somebody that's misfiring, we need to be good at finding what is right and celebrate it. Now, the whole idea of Christianity is a celebration. We know that God celebrated his creation from the very beginning. And we also know that at the end, there's going to be a big celebration. It's like a big dinner where... We are going to be reunited with Jesus. We're going to have this marriage supper. And we're going to sit around and we're going to tell stories. And we're going to be reunited. And we're going to have a celebration. And there needs to be a little bit more celebration in the church today. We need to be more celebratory. We need to be people that begin to really celebrate the things that God is doing instead of focusing in on the things that the enemy is doing to attack families and to attack our communities and to attack ourselves, our bodies, all the challenges with sickness and disease, all the things that are going on. And if we will, if we will begin to celebrate and start moving forward on that, we will cancel out cynicism. And that cynicism sometimes dampens us expressing the kingdom of God and developing the kingdom of God here on the earth. But when we celebrate, man, it's beautiful. In a few weeks, we have camp coming up. And kids are going to have life-changing experiences. And those life-changing experiences are going to result in kids wanting to get baptized. And when we set up the baptism in this room, uh, there's people that are going to go down the old self, and come up the new self. And when they do, you're going to notice people are going to stand up, they're going to clap, they're going to cheer, and they're going to celebrate. Why? Because there's a change that's taking place in the soul and the heart of a person. 
And so this is the kind of thing that we need to start gearing our minds towards. We need to start celebrating the fact that there's people getting healed around here. We need to celebrate the fact that there's people returning back to God. We need to celebrate the fact that there's people that are coming back in their marriages. That marriages we thought were going to fall apart are being restored. We need to celebrate those things. And when you see that, you want to draw attention to it. Because everybody's drawing attention to the dark right now. But the Christians need to start celebrating the stuff that's working. The people that are coming to know God. The people that are coming... To, to stepping up as parents and saying, you know what? I'm going to start leading my kids into things of God. I've, I've been selfish in the way that I've been living, but now I'm going to live for God. And now me and my son, me and my daughter, me and my, my kids, we are going to serve the Lord. That's the kind of celebration we need to start seeing, okay? So I want to give you some thoughts on this celebration real quick and uh, some things that I think will help us. And now, the first thing is, is that we need to start testifying. In Judges chapter 2, it describes a, gen, uh, um, a generation that grew up that never heard the stories. They never heard the stories of what God did for Israel. And so they raised up another generation that neither served God or knew anything about the stories. And so what happened is they started doing evil on the side of God. And this is some of what we see going on today. Some of the things that we're cynical about right now are the results of the fact that we didn't raise up our kids or our grandkids in the things of God. We didn't tell them the stories. We didn't share the testimony to our kids. You know, yesterday we had uh, our grandson Jude over. He's four years old. And we have... Uh, we have um, uh, furnace room downstairs and we have a little sitting area downstairs where we go hang out sometimes and uh, he likes to go down there because it's the place where all the misfit stuff goes right um, like old pictures that you don't want to throw away but they don't fit on the wall because it's like it's great grandma when she was seven you know and uh, stuff like that you just don't want to get rid of it but it just doesn't fit in the living room anymore you know and uh, and so we we put all those down there, right? And some, of, some old antique things that our, Tina's parents had and uh, just some memorable stuff of our, our kids when they were younger and, and then just weird stuff, okay? And it's just kind of an eclectic, random place. Well, Jude, every time he comes over, he says, Papa, can we go downstairs? You know, Hayden hated going downstairs because she was scared of the steps going down there because it's kind of dark and stuff like that. But Jude wants to go down there because there's a bearskin rug down there, and uh, he loves that and uh, likes to look in its nose and all that kind of stuff. And, but he goes down there, and, and so last night we're down there, and I started pointing at different pictures, and then I'd tell a story about each one. Telling the stories. We need to do the same thing with what God has done in your life. Some of your kids don't know what God's done in your life. Some of your friends don't know what God's done in your life. Some of your parents don't know what God's done in your life. Some of you came home from camp and you had life-changing experiences and your parents asked you how things go, how, how'd things go, and you go, fine. Did you have a good time? Yeah. And it's like you didn't tell any stories. You didn't paint a picture of what God was doing. And so what we need to do is we need to get better at celebrating the things that God is doing. 
or the things that we've discovered. Are you following me? And so, so what I would say is start to testify. Start telling the stories. Start bringing up the stuff. Now, tell the stories about other people too. Like when you hear that so-and-so had this life-changing experience, tell the story. Tell the story. Tell, uh, tell people about it. Tell about the healings. Tell people about the miracles that you've seen. Tell them about the life-changing things that happened because they came to church and they got connected with so-and-so and then they got the job and then they pretty soon they got this and pretty soon they got that and then they got remarried and everything got worked out and everything was fine. And it... Tell the story. Tell the story about other people because God wants to do something. But we've got to celebrate. And the way we celebrate is tell the stories. You know, there's nothing better than when you come back from camp and you hear the stories. You know, for years, when we come back from camp, the kids will get up and tell their stories. And it's amazing because it gives you hope. It gives you encouragement. And then we can celebrate it, and people need to be celebrated. Here's another thing. We need to treasure hunt. We need to treasure hunt. We need to find the good in, in people. And we, sometimes you have to look a little deep. And we got to start looking and we got to start asking some questions and we got to find out what's going on with people. Some people just don't offer up much information. So we can ask good questions. And when we ask good questions, like the, um, just the other day, we had some friends over. We had a group of people that didn't know each other. So everybody was meeting for the first time. So we said, let's, let's tell our story, how we met Jesus. So everybody starts telling their stories, all just completely different. And it was really cool because we could celebrate each other and and the good things that God had done in their lives. And it was amazing what we learned about each other. But we had to ask the question. If we hadn't asked the question, we probably would have talked about all the things that are happening in the world or, or talked about all the things like mariners, which is uneventful. And, and you know, uh, what's that? You see, I don't even know because nobody's even said anything about it. I don't know anything about it. This is the first I've heard. Nobody celebrated them. the baseball fan that I am. But, but we would have, we would have talked about something that probably wouldn't have gone beyond the surface, but instead we found some things out about people that we barely knew that go deeper than people we've known for many years. We celebrated it. So we need to go on a treasure hunt. When you have people over, or when you're sitting down talking to somebody, ask them some questions and then say, tell me more about that. Tell me more about that. Tell me about how you met Jesus. Tell me about what God's doing in your life. What's the latest thing that you've read from the scriptures that, that gets you excited? And you ask some questions and go a little bit deeper. Pull something out of them. Go on a treasure hunt and see what kind of treasure you can pull up that you can celebrate. Have you ever, when the kids were little, we, we uh, when Taylor was, I don't know how old you were, when we did Zickleg Boys, Taylor was six, and Shelby, well, Shelby was old enough to, he was four, okay, so we dressed him up like pirates, and we went on a sailboat with another pastor, and we, we uh, decided we are going to go look for buried treasure, and so we had already buried on this, this island, we buried a, a box full of candy, and treasures and 
candy coins and stuff like that. We buried it in the dirt. We were following this map that made no sense at all. And, uh, but it had burned edges all the way around it, so it made it look really authentic. And I said, I think, this is the, I think this is the beach. This is the beach. And so we pull over, and Taylor was so excited. He was all dressed up. Shelby as well. He, I mean, Shelby is a treasure hunter guy. He loves finding treasure. Anyway, so four and six years old, and the joy that was on their face when they found, they dug that hole and they found that box. They were so excited and opened it up and saw all the buried treasure in there. The joy that was there, that they had found something that had been hidden, is the same joy, the same kind of joy that you feel and more when you begin to find something in somebody else that you can celebrate. So I encourage you, go on a treasure hunt. Here's another one, party. We need to have more parties. We do. There's one thing that COVID robbed us of was parties. Robbed us of weddings. Robbed us of of receptions and banquets and gatherings and all kinds of stuff. Restaurants, celebratory of birthdays and all that kind of stuff. We got robbed during that time because we couldn't celebrate. And I, I think that we need to be better at celebrating. And we had some friends that came to church for the very first time here, and they walked in. They were pastors from another church, and they walked in. They go, they're looking all around. They go, feels like a party in here. Is this the way it is all the time? I go, yeah, I guess so. And they're like going, yeah, this feels good. This feels really good. And they left. They called me back afterwards, and they just said, hey, man, That was so awesome being at your church. It just felt so good. It felt so life-giving. What was happening? So we were celebrating. You know what? When you come to church, you should come to celebrate, not just to get something that you can take home, but come and celebrate. Celebrate the fact that you're seeing friends that you haven't seen all week, and celebrate the fact that you're seeing some people that haven't been around for a long time. And celebrate the fact that you're seeing people that have gotten healed recently or connected with God, or you're meeting somebody for the very first time, and start treating church like a celebration, like a party. This is a party where we're all gathering together. It's a reunion. We're celebrating the fact that we're free despite there's all kinds of stuff going on around the world. We're still free to love Jesus, and we're still free to celebrate, and we need to rise up and begin to say, hey, we're not going to stop partying. We're going to party and celebrate. Hey, if God celebrated his creation and at the end in Revelation talks about how there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb, this is going to be a party. This is the spirit of Christ as we celebrate the life that God has given us. So even when Jesus described what he came to do, he says, I've come to give life and life more abundantly. In other words, this is an effervescent life. The word eternal life in Mark means effervescent life, fulfilling, bubbling up from within a life that is worthy of celebrating, a life that is filled with joy and expectancy and hope for the future. This is who we are, guys. And when you begin to engage in that celebratory spirit, instead of being cynical and carrying around the the heavies, we're not here to critique We're here to build. 
Okay, now I understand just by building there's some critiquing going on. I get it. But the truth of the matter is our energies need to be on creating the environment that God would want to have. When Tina and I went to a 50th anniversary of my mentor, Lou Tice, at his house, this party that he put on, I think I've shared it with you before, but we get there. And his house is on the lake there. And when we're walking down the driveway to get to his house, you could see an image projected onto the roof of him and his wife. Happy 50th, right? And then you get down, and in the driveway, there was all these tables around, and they were serving hors d'oeuvres and something to drink, and, and guys were walking around doing magic tricks, sleight of hand, stuff like that. Uh, comedians were coming around talking to people at the table and it was really fun it was and then all of a sudden the door opens up the front door and then we move from out there into the house and there's music playing there's a little orchestra in there and it's like oh wow this is just like stimulation overload and and you're meeting all kinds of people from all over the world from different backgrounds and all these different perspectives on life and ages and all these kinds of things everything from Poppers to presidents. It was amazing. Then we went downstairs where they had games and pool and all kinds of stuff. And then you walked out the back patio and then there was this big tent and they had these big boats filled with ice and shrimp and all these kinds of things. It was amazing. And all I could think of is, wow, they are celebrating this marriage well. Think what we should be doing for the kingdom of God. That put something inside of my wife and both of us. It changed how we entertained. It changed how we do invites. It changed how we set up our home. It changes everything from the furniture we bought to the way that we do things. That's why I got the vision to build a pizza oven. It's why I decided that we're going to have a sport court out in the back. And it's all these kinds of things were things that came out of inspiration of that experience I thought, hey, if he can do that for his, his marriage, we can do this for the kingdom. We need to celebrate. We need to party and not feel ashamed for it because we're celebrating eternal life and we're celebrating the things that God has done in our lives. There's a couple other things here, but I think you're getting the idea. We need to create things. We need to use our imagination. We need to be people that are allowing ourselves when we see dark times or dark situations or we get bad news to imagine what could be in the positive and begin looking inside of our hearts and our minds, say, God, okay, we got this bad news. We got this bad report. Help my imagination imagine a better future. Help my imagination with what's next. Because some of us have gotten some really bad news lately. And that's where you have to allow yourself not to get cynical, but allow yourself to imagine what it could be like when you get through this. What could it be like? 
You know, there's some of you, as you've gotten older, there's certain things you can no longer do. If you focus in on the things you can no longer do, you'll get kind of cynical about life. You can easily slip into becoming a curmudgeon. You know what I mean? And so you got to start looking at the things you can do and allow your imagination to make those years the best years possible so that you have something to celebrate. And when you celebrate, all of a sudden cynicism gets shut down. So let's be a celebratory people. Let's find the good in people. Let's go on some treasure hunts. Let's acknowledge the things that God is doing in one another's lives. Let's ask better questions. Let's go a little deeper. Let's have some good parties and celebrate. Just make something up. Just make something up and bring people together and enjoy one another and celebrate just being together because that's a beautiful thing. Let's pray. God, I thank you for our creative imaginations. I thank you for the joy that comes when we recognize that you're at work in our lives. Lord, help us tune our eyes to see the beauty that is out there. Help us see the winds that are going on around us on a regular basis. God, I pray right now that those that feel like there isn't anything to celebrate in their life, that you would open their eyes to see something beautiful. Put some energy in their hearts to create, to imagine, and to build that which you see in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you stand up to your feet? We're going to have our prayer partners up here. Guys, listen. Everything shifted for me when I chose to follow Jesus when I was 21 years old. Everything turned around. I moved from being a cynical person to being somebody that could see the good in in the world. At the time that I became a Christian, there was a lot of dark things happening in our world. I was distracted by it big time. I was afraid. I would hear noises at night thinking that it was the end of the world. It was really distracting for me. It was harmful for my soul. But when I met Jesus, all of a sudden, everything changed. Some of you have never made the commitment to follow Jesus. Here's your opportunity. These prayer partners are here. If you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, I want you to come find one of them and ask them to pray for you. And they'll pray for you. And things will begin to shift and you'll have something to celebrate big time. It'll be the beginning of something beautiful. Some of you are in dark times right now. It's really hard to see past them. And God wants to take you through that. He wants to take you through it. He wants to get your eyes focused on what can be and what will be. And as you do, you'll move into a celebratory mode. Shove aside that cynicism and that pain and that woundedness that you feel. Beautiful things are going to happen. And then last thing. I feel like this is a word from the Lord for some of us. Some of us cannot celebrate because we have a wound that happened to us 
either when we were young or recently, a wound that I'm not sure where it came from, but I'm sensing that there was a wound, a wound that hurt deeply. And because of that wound, you made some vows to never trust again. You made some vows to never trust again. And the lack of trust is keeping you from being able to celebrate. And so if you're here today and you've got a wound and you know that it's keeping you from being free, you know that that wound has robbed you of certain relationships, it's robbed you of joy, it's robbed you of freedom, I encourage you to find one of these prayer partners and share that with them and let them pray for you. Amen. Lord bless you as you go. We'll see you next week. God bless you all.